You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Inside Healthcare. I am NCQA Communications Director Matt Brock. Along with me today, and I'm very excited about today's uh, podcast because I get to learn a lot today, and I'm, I'm kind of happy about that, and I hope you will be too. But our guest today is Philip Sainich. Did I say it right, Philip? Yep. And uh, he is a doctor. Dr. Sainich is uh, one of uh, our esteemed staff here at NCQA. He is uh, the Torta Fellow, and we will tell you what that means in the uh, coming minutes, but he's a super smart guy, and he's doing super smart research for NCQA, and we're here to hear about that, to hear about what it's involved with being a Torta Fellow, and hopefully he'll encourage some of you to apply for the fellowship because it is um, quite an opportunity for those Absolutely. who are seeking um, to expand their knowledge and expand their research and, and expand their uh, their careers. So let's get started. I know, and we've worked in the same place, Philip, for several months. I see you. It's pleasant, but I don't know a whole lot about you. Um Tell me about you. Who are you? Where'd you come from? Sure. How'd you get here? Sure. So uh, I'm from South Jersey originally. I uh, grew up about 10, 15 minutes outside Philadelphia in a town called Haddonfield. And I lived in Philly for eight years. So did my bachelor's at Penn and then worked at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia as a research assistant for four after that. And then spent uh, six years in the Boston area. So did my PhD at Harvard, lived in Cambridge, Boston proper for a year and wound up here. So I've been working with some good folks in research and analysis for the last, I guess, two years or so now. And uh, yeah, real excited to come on board full-time and get to push that research forward here in-house. The, uh, first of all, Haddonfield, small world, my friend. I know Haddonfield. Oh, do you? And I know it well. Really? And so we'll talk about that post-podcast. Absolutely. But it's a lovely place <laughs> if you have an opportunity to visit. It's a really nice community. <laughs> and it's on the train line into it is. the city. And um, Yeah, great place to grow up. It probably was because it is, is very much picket fences. <laughs> uh, so I already have a sense of who you are. Um <laughs> Let's let's talk about how you became a Torta Fellow yeah, and the and the process for that. To some extent, I don't want to go too deep, but sure. what first of all attracted you to it, and then what did you have to do to sort of secure it? Yeah, so I've been working with um, Tyler Oberlander and Sarah Scholey here for I guess about two years before I started on a research project looking at the patient-centered medical home and its effect on uh, patient outcomes. And you know, I we'd gotten. A lot of work done on one part of that project, but we'd still had some work done sort of on the broader scope of work that we'd laid out at the outset of that project. And you know, towards the end of my PhD, I was looking for opportunities. So thinking about the academic job market, thinking about postdocs, thinking about other opportunities as well. And I'd seen postings for the, the Torta Fellowship, didn't really know a ton about it, but I thought, look, I, I have a great deal of respect for the organization, the high quality of work that goes on there. I know some of the people, and you know, I already have this scope of work that's been sketched out. Um, and I think that there's still a lot of great stuff that we could do together. So I thought, I'll put my name in the hat and uh, see what happens. And you know, I had some great conversations with some, some folks in, in research mostly about 
you know, what life would look like for a Torta fellow and thought, well, God, this sounds like a great opportunity. So I, I applied and I got it and I'm you know thrilled to thrilled to be here working on it. What do you have to show? If, and I really don't want to talk too much about this. Yeah, but what sure. do you have to show? Because I want to talk about your research. What? Uh, but what do you have to show? What? How? Um, how much does it take to apply? Is it a, a longer process or? No, I think that you know relative to the standards for a lot of other postdocs, I think that what they want to see is that you have a, a passion project. You have uh, it's sort of a defined research interest that's in an area that sort of overlaps with the institutional priorities at NCQA, and that you have a demonstrated ability to push forward on that. So I think particularly things like having uh, you know, a work plan lined up, having either data on hand or access or a sense of where you would get access to data moving forward, because it's a year fellowship. It's not a you know, two-year postdoc like you'd see in a lot of other settings. So I think that there is an expectation that you you know, sort of some shovel-ready projects, let's, let's say. Um, but I think that they really want to see that there's a sort of a, a, a passionate and sort of goals-oriented researcher who's looking to get some work done over the next year and, and produce some sort of uh, practitioner or policy-relevant work uh, in the relatively short term. So you don't have to have, you know, half of the research already done. Well, it certainly helps like if you want some to. people, right? <laughs> it, it, it certainly helps, but um, yeah, I think that uh, they, it, it, my impression was that they're open to, to folks coming into the project at a, a variety of different stages, and I know that um, you know not everyone who's come through has has had a PhD or been right at the edge of getting a PhD, but I think that that's the kind of um, that's one route to the sort of independent research. I think that they are looking for someone to be able to do. So let's talk about the research work yeah, please. you are doing here. Well, first of all, I guess, what do you hope to see and what are you seeing? So I think that, you know, what we'd hope to see, there's a lot of attention devoted to the patient-centered medical home as a model for reorganizing primary care. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the, the sense is that with, with better health IT, with better team structures, with better care coordination, you'll see better management of chronic illness and particularly uh, better patient experience across the board, and hopefully reductions in total cost of care that are being derived from you know, less utilization of high-cost, high-intensity services that oftentimes are needed when you have, let's say, exacerbations of an underlying chronic illness. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, in a word, you keep folks out of the emergency room and their costs of care come down. I think that that's sort of the general idea. The objectives of PCMH mm-hmm. are all of those things you discuss. But that's right. But some of them are not proven fully yet. That's right. So I think that when you look at, you know, big reviews of the evidence, like uh, folks at the Patient-Centered Primary Care Collaborative, the PCPCC, um, they do sort of a... An, periodic, I don't know if it's quite annual, evidence review. The last one that they did looked at 2016, found something like 45 peer-reviewed articles about the medical home or related interventions. So a lot of evidence-based, I would say that the evidence is mixed but generally positive about its effectiveness. Most of that research is focusing on you know, uh, cost and utilization outcomes, a bit on patient experience slash quality, and maybe some work as well on uh, provider experience, thinking about things like burnout. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like I said, I would say that it's generally positive but somewhat mixed. So mm-hmm. the way that I would say my research slots into that broader literature, that broader body of work, is to try and say, 
you know, there's a lot of potential sources of variation in those findings. There's been meta-analyses, systematic reviews of these, trying to make sense of broad bodies of work, but that always, uh, you know, by definition entails necessary work to try and standardize across different studies that might, at some level, be non-standardizable. What's the definition of the medical home? What's the definition of the outcomes that we're looking at? Um, and that's, that's hard work, and I think that, you know, that's a laudable effort to try and make sense of that disparate work that's out there. But we took a slightly different approach was let's take one source of variation, which is, you know, especially in the early standards, the 2008-2011 recognition standards, there is a fair amount of potential latitude that a practice could take in how they get recognized in terms of the functional capabilities that define what a medical home is. Mm -hmm. So our goal was to say, let's take that data on the functional capabilities in medical homes and let's try and uh, map those differences to differences in outcomes. You know, the, the sort of status quo approach in a lot of these studies is to say, patient-centered medical home is a single undifferentiated intervention. It's a, and it's not. It's not. It's yeah. a, you know, and, and research that understandably where, you know, data limit, data limitations dictate, you know, treating it as a single light switch that you turn on it's and off. It's the easy way to go. Well, it, it's not just the easy way to go. In some cases, it's the best that researchers can do. And, you know, I think that uh, with any sort of policy intervention, any delivery system intervention, you want to generate research and, and generate evidence so that we can do evidence-based practice moving forward. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, it would be short-sighted to say, let's have the perfect be the enemy of the good. So I think that our goal was just to say, let's take it a step forward uh, where we can. And I, uh, wow. so we, we have some, some work in a couple of areas around that now. We have some work that, you know, takes this kind of standard status quo, standard approach uh, that came out in health services research in 2015 that looks at a demonstration in southeastern Pennsylvania. And I think that that was, you know, for the group of researchers that I've been working with, really the genesis of wanting to, like I said, take that work a step forward and try and understand how variation might be affecting the outcomes we see. So we have one paper that's out in the Journal of Health Economics from, I think, 2018 now that uses a technique called hierarchical clustering, which is a fancy way of saying we group practices based on the capabilities that they adopted. And we look at these different groups of practices, one that um, you could think of as being sort of a just past the post group of practices, relatively low performing on the PCMH standards, compare them to two higher performing practices. Now again, this is under the 2008 data, looking at only 100 or so practices in southeastern Pennsylvania. But what we found was that there were two groups of practices that are in this sort of high-performing category, relatively similar in terms of their overall attainment on the PCMH recognition instrument, so in the range of 80 to 85% performance on mm -hmm. the PCMH scoring, and one that's more focused on patient-facing attributes, so thinking about things like um, systems for population health management. On the other hand, we had a group of practices that were more provider-facing, so emphasizing things like uh, systems in place for reporting data back to the docs about their performance. And we saw differences in performance across those three groups. Uh, lower primary care utilization in the low-performing practices, higher, perform, uh, higher primary care utilization in the higher-performing practices, and um, you know differences in outcomes as well, reductions in uh, pro uh, professional expenditures, so spending on, on uh, services provided by docs in the provider-facing group, but not in the, the patient-facing uh, emphasis category. So, you know, I think that at the end of the day, no one study is going to be definitive, especially in something that's now as widely implemented as the patient-centered medical home is. But uh, I think it's at least providing some evidence that 
look, the variation in how the practices are achieving recognition matters. And this is only one, I think, narrow slice of mm-hmm. that variation. So if you look at some of the work on this, things like uh, what's being targeted with the financial incentives. Is it process improvements per se, or is it you know, medical home adoption as part of value-based purchasing? I think that uh, that's a major source of potential variation. Uh, you also see that a lot of the studies find an effect among patients with chronic illnesses, particularly multiple chronic comorbidities, but not among patient populations as a whole. So thinking about, you know, the patient populations treated as a source of variation, I think, is another potential source. So again, you know, we're looking at one slice of that variation that you might see in practice, and I think providing some good evidence that, you know, wow, this really matters for the kinds of outcomes we see on the other end. It's very interesting to to sort of oversimplify it because, you know, I got to tell you, Doc, I'm a simple guy. Um, (laughs) But to oversimplify, you are evaluating uh, several different routes to the same end. That's right. Correct. To the same destination. That's right. So, you know, I think that with good reason, especially with a new model, we don't necessarily Um, have good evidence on which of these capabilities is the most impactful, which has the highest ROI, which has um, the most impact on patient outcomes, you know, it wouldn't necessarily, it it wouldn't be the best way forward necessarily to say, these are the the small handful of things that you have to do to get recognized. And I think that taking a slightly broader approach that lets practices sort of identify their own strengths, their own needs for the patient population treated and saying, Let's, let's let practices take multiple ways forward to getting the same sort of recognition. And I think that now that we have, gosh, almost 10 years of evidence about uh, different, different approaches to getting recognized, different practices, experiences, it makes sense to try and start sifting through that evidence and say, what are the differences between these practices? You know, I was able to look at data from about 6,000 recognitions under the 2011 standards in a recent paper that, you know, unfortunately is still under review and I can't talk about in too much detail. Mm-hmm. But I think that now that we have uh, lots of practices, lots of covered patients, lots of years of follow-up to try and start sifting through that where possible and saying, um, you know, these look like the relative strengths and weaknesses of practices that took different approaches. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of work still done, still to be done in this space. So I'm excited to see, uh, you know, what some of the folks that I'm still working with here and in other environments and uh, what other researchers as well are able to produce on these questions moving forward. I think that's, I, I think your research is, is exciting. And I know as a communicator for NCQA and communicating the value of PCMH to practices, uh, sometimes it can be difficult because research like yours is limited at this point, partially just because there ain't, there's not that much data, right? I mean, there is and there isn't. It's kind of, it hasn't been around a really long time. So we're so, the, the jury's out, and, uh, and I appreciate your research because now the well, jury's starting that. to come in, right? And that helps us communicate not only the value of PCMH, but the value of what you're doing, the value of best practices, frankly. And I have to say, one of the great things about working at NCQA is that, you know, it's an organization that in many ways is a consumer of research, right? Uh, in measure development or in recognition programs, I think that there's a lot of attention to saying, let's take the best evidence available and let's try and incorporate that into the products that we're generating. But at the same time, there's also an eye to being a producer of research and supporting research internally and externally that can shape practice and shape policy, uh, both for sort of the, the range of NCQA areas of expertise, but also more broadly. And I think that it's exciting to be part of that process. It's a real commitment 
inside to to improving the quality of healthcare, essentially, Absolutely. which is what you would expect from us. But it's also NCQA is an organization that actually encourages that research externally too, right? For the same very same reason, which is to promote the overall improvement of quality across the country. And and having been someone who's been uh, a beneficiary of both that interest in seeding high quality research by external partners and also working internally. Um, I can say that it, it, it seems like there's a lot of success on both of those fronts. So uh, thank you very much for, for telling us about your research and what you uh, hope to achieve when it is completed. <laughs> and when will it be completed? Or will it ever be completed? You know, I don't I think it's the kind of thing that ever is done. It's, uh, <laughs> it's good enough to talk about in public, I yeah. think, is the standard that we aim for. That's where you well. Because, you know, I, 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 as I'm sure that, you know, you're aware, the you know, the, the goalposts are always moving. The right. policy environment in which these practices are operating is always changing. Um, payment models are subject to change and reform. The sort of the specific quality standards are subject to reform. So, you know, I think that as certainly, you know, I think that clinicians are focused on delivering the highest quality of care that they can to their patients, but the, op- the environment in which they operate changes. So I think that that shapes and will continue to change how it shapes the kinds of research questions that are most important to have answered. So uh, never done, but certainly always in progress. Last question, what would you tell your best researching friend about having done this and about this experience, at least thus far? I think that's a great question. I think that I would tell them that this is an environment full of uh, smart, committed people who are concerned about the quality of care and concerned about improving uh, delivery. You know, I've heard the adage that uh, you can't improve what you don't measure. And I think that this is a great opportunity to produce research that's sitting very close to practice and that has the potential to, on a much shorter timescale than a lot of um, other jobs would uh, influence how policy is set, how care is delivered. And I think that that's an exciting opportunity to be a part of. Hmm. And there, and and especially in the patient-centered medical neighborhood, right. there's a lot, and, and by the way, research doesn't have to be about that. It could be about a million different things frankly but um that is somewhere where you what you're doing will make can make a real difference real quickly i appreciate you saying so that's the hope so uh thank you dr sanis for being with us and thanks for for having us it was nice it was nice to learn a little bit more about you so i'll know more in the hallways and um thank you for the work you do thank you important Thank you for listening to Inside Healthcare. I just want to remind you, if you want to see updates on Dr. Sainich's research or other research about PCMH and about the patient-centered neighborhood and about improving the quality of healthcare across the country, check out our blog site at blog.ncqa.org. And of course, you always get the latest right here on Inside Healthcare. So thank you for listening. I'm Matt Brock. We'll see you again, no doubt.